Join me, Dr. Cathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. Dr. Natalie Brown is a research scientist working with the Welsh Institute of Performance Science based at Swansea University. Her research areas focus on the menstrual cycle and the impact on sports performance and participation in physical activity. Hello, Natalie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And how are you? I'm very well. Intrigued. This is a fantastic area of research. And tell us a little bit about how you sort of got involved in this work. Thank you so much. And it's great for you to invite me on today to talk about it. So I got involved in this work through, I suppose, the research position that I have. I work alongside Sport Wales Institute. And a part of that was looking at the split between male and female athletes and looking at their performances. And one thing that kind of jumped out at me, and prior to that, I was actually a sports scientist working in different sports. And we considered so many other aspects of what could affect performance. But very, very rarely, if not at all, was the menstrual cycle ever mentioned, despite obviously the the impact it could have from hormones affecting different biological processes and the different symptoms it can cause. So that really kind of got me exploring in this area. And ever since I've yeah been doing a lot of research around the metro cycle, and then that's that's expanded over the years from just elite performance to across all anyone taking part. So from grassroots participation still all the way up to an Olympic level. And when you consider that I think 93% of teenage girls experience dysmenorrhea, severe cramps, and I think on average, you know, the menstrual cycle might have, you know, 11 symptoms, mood changes, stomach cramps, anxiety, fatigue. It's extraordinary that we don't give this area more attention. Yeah. And that's, I definitely feel the same about that. It kind of fascinates me a little bit how it's just not considered despite the, obviously the impact it can have on just day-to-day life. You know, some of my, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but some of the findings I found of how it was affecting attendance, it was affecting confidence, like meeting up with friends, let alone just being active and healthy within life. So for me, having such a huge effect on so many different things, yet it's not discussed or not considered really. So I suppose that I'm on my, on my mission to try and help and change some of that. I think in preparation for this interview, again, I was quite shocked to read, you know, things like in 2018, there was a survey in the the UK that highlighted 14% of girls didn't feel they even knew what was happening when they started bleeding. 25% said they didn't feel they knew what to do when they started their period. I mean, it's extraordinary that it's 2022 and that level of lack of sort of literacy around period education is still in existence. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, there's a group of us that have been working together on this research and all obviously reflect on our own experiences. And we kind of started doing work around menstrual education, 
hoping almost that something had changed since the however many years, 20 plus years ago that we would have received or didn't receive that education. And that was actually one of my biggest shocks is actually nothing's changed in all that time. There's still very minimal mental education. It's still not talked about. Some of the quotes and stats that you've just read out that I, again, I find that shocking that that's, how are we still there? How is that still the current situation? So let's try and shift some thinking. You've just produced a fantastic paper, Teachers' Perceptions and Experiences of Menstrual Cycle Education and Support in UK Schools. It's been published in the journal Frontiers in Global Women's Health. Tell us about the purpose of that study first, Natalie. Yeah, we did this study to try and as I said, I've been working with within sport and have kept identifying that I was working with female athletes that didn't understand what was going on, weren't aware of what symptoms, things like that. And it kind of got us all thinking, the group that I'm working in, is to actually, is what is mental education? Do females and males equally receive information at school? And what does that look like? And that really got us, you know, that, that was the start of this research paper. And we started off by speaking to teachers to find out how many lessons are delivered, what's included in those lessons, you know, are they who are they delivered to? And that was really the starting point. And then the secondary aim, I suppose, of that paper was also then to find out, are teachers supported? You know, are there reasons why there isn't more education from a teaching perspective? Obviously, teachers are completely pivotal in providing that kind of menstrual cycle education, but also fostering a sort of an environment where it's okay to to ask questions and to find things out. But I think your study really highlighted a lack of training, but also a lack of confidence in this area and even embarrassment. Yeah, that was one thing actually I found really interesting was so kind of 53% of secondary school teachers reported that some lessons were provided in school. However, when we actually delved deeper into what that looked like and how they felt delivering that, it was really surprising. You know, teachers felt they lacked confidence. 35% of teachers said they lacked confidence or the resources. And those that maybe were comfortable were the science teachers that were you know, teaching the biology of the menstrual cycle, it was part of the curriculum. Whereas when we talked more about, you know, are any awareness of irregular menstrual cycle symptoms or what a lived experience might be like, only 9% of teachers actually said anything like that was covered. And a lot of that was reported by female teachers. But even those female teachers didn't feel confident or comfortable, despite their own experiences, to actually talk about it. Well, let's just go back to the impact of menstruation and the menstrual cycle on teenage girls in particular in terms of their well-being and education. I know that your report really looked into the sort of literature review around this. Yeah, so I suppose a, a big part of it was looking at what other factors is it affecting for, for girls. So the fact that 88% of teachers said that it was meant that girls weren't taking part in physical activity for me, the effect on their health and well-being as a result of that is something I really would like to change because, you know, that might be a 10, 11-year-old girl that is already not taking part in physical activity and potentially becomes what they take through to their life then 
is not having any physical activity and the impact, not just physically, but also mentally that that can have. But then also the flip side of that for me is actually not knowing what is in a regular menstrual cycle or what symptoms are not normal and therefore seeking medical advice. Again, I think that has a huge impact on general health and wellbeing for females. You know, that, that shocking time if they don't know how to manage when they're on their period and they're bleeding and the impact that can have for them. Socially, behaviour is so broad. I mean, it's about the psychology of it. It's about the clothing they wear, making sure that adults around them are sensitive to what that might be like for that particular child. And also making sure they have the sort of the practical resources to be able to manage the menstrual cycle well. Yeah. And that was one thing that actually was really interesting that regarding like resources to manage the menstrual cycle, especially the period, a lot of schools actually reported that there were products available for the girls to be able to access in school. However, there was a lot that reported a barrier because they were maybe in reception or a teacher had them and it meant the girls had to go and ask to access those products, which was preventing in a lot of situations from them actually being used. So I suppose this is that that was really interesting for me that we've been looking at maybe period poverty and how we can manage the physical aspect of it, but we're still not happy talking about it. And therefore, there's still this barrier affecting the menstrual cycle periods and how that affects kind of the day-to-day activities. And the sort of the secrecy around it can't really help anyone, I suppose, because you can imagine feelings of shame or, you know, of embarrassment can be quite acute, you know, in this area. And again, just opening up that conversation could be so beneficial. Yeah. I mean, I always start off by saying that the menstrual cycle is a normal biological function. We'd happily talk about the heart rate. We'd happily talk about breathing. And actually, The menstrual cycle is one of those biological functions, yet we've been and kind of a wider societal perception is it's something that you keep secretive, is exactly as you've just said there, shameful, embarrassing. And it's really trying to, how do we shift that perception? How do we change that so it's not a burden or a barrier for girls in school, in physical activity? in all different areas of life. Natalie, what sort of things do you think all young people and older people should be aware of when it comes to the menstrual cycle over and above the basic science? You know, what would empower young girls to successfully manage the cycle? I think there's two things for me, really. One is actually what symptoms are associated with the menstrual cycle and how can you work out what symptoms you experience? Because everyone's individual and everyone is unique when it comes to their menstrual cycle. But by understanding what symptoms you experience as a result to then really empower you to go, okay, well, secondly, here's different management strategies so that those symptoms are not as severe. Or if those symptoms are severe, that those management strategies don't work, that you know to go and seek help and advice medically, because again, there might be an underlying medical condition. And I think, or have have found from speaking to so many females that a lot of the time I hear the common sentence, you've just got to get on with it. And actually I say that's not the case. There are different ways to manage different symptoms, but it's just something that we don't discuss or isn't widely shared so that we know how to manage that. So we don't have to struggle as, you know, whether they're psychological or physical symptoms. So yeah, they're probably my, my two key areas. 
And when you conducted your study with teachers, uh, you know, tell us what you learned about, you've mentioned a little bit of this, but what, what is the current state of menstrual cycle education in this country? Yeah. So I suppose one of the key things to start off with was that 91% of who responded were female, which actually I found interesting in itself. It highlighted straight away that it was perceived that it was a female teacher's responsibility to deliver those lessons rather than it being equally male and female and also delivered to both male and female boys and girls. A higher, slightly higher percentage of teachers in primary schools reported lessons were provided. But what was, I suppose, one of the key findings for me is most of the time, one lesson is provided across that whole time at school. So across primary and secondary school, most individuals will only receive one lesson around the menstrual cycle. And a lot of the time that is just focused on the reproductive system. And if you miss that lesson, well, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And actually that's a key, it really interesting came out that actually during, because of COVID for the last couple of years and all the kind of stretch and difficulty on time and resource, in a lot of situations that hasn't actually been delivered at all in the last couple of years. That's been one of the things that's been dropped out. So we might actually have had the last two years where both males and females have received no information about the menstrual cycle. The other thing that strikes me is anecdotally, I think sometimes I've heard that, you know, menstruation starting a lot earlier. So whereas years ago, it may have been a little bit older, 14, 13, 14, it now might be nine, 10, even, you know, quite early before a child would ever do a sort of a GCSE biology lesson. And that's worrying for parents because they think, gosh, they have to sort of prepare their children for things a little bit earlier than they may have originally thought. That's definitely something we've, that has been seen more and more is the age is getting younger. So it's not uncommon for girls to start their peers age nine, but actually a lot of their education, they might not receive any information until they're 11 or 12. So you've got some that will start their period with no idea of what that is. I actually found it really upsetting when I spoke to and interviewed for another research study of Olympic level athletes. And one girl said to me, I thought I was dying because I was bleeding. I had no idea what was happening. And I just thought, how, how is that the case? How can we actually, you know, we, they don't need to know everything when they're nine years old as to every symptom, all the management, what's going on from a reproductive perspective but just knowing that that might happen and to have the reassurance of how to manage that I think would be really important moving forward. Absolutely so instead of a sort of wait and see a lot more proactivity is required and now the next question interests me very much as the mother of teenage boys how <laughs> important is it for boys to learn comprehensively about the menstrual cycle and specifically in single sex boys schools how much education are boys generally receiving? I'll start with the second part of that question first, because we had no male or female teachers that were teaching at single sex male school respond to this questionnaire. So we don't know the answer to that. I don't know what information is being provided. I did find it fascinating, though, that we didn't have any responses at all from that kind of group of schools, because for me, this is, a, I suppose, a personal opinion, but I think both males and females should receive information about the menstrual cycle. 
girls might need more information, especially like how to actually manage the, you know, the physical symptoms or physically manage a period. But I think it's really important that both males and females receive that starting information of what is the metrocycle cycle and actually to highlight why is it normal. Really, for me, the importance of that is to be able to change the shift in perception that it's something secretive and embarrassment. I think that sometimes starts when at school, very typically and from what has been found within speaking to the teachers in this research paper, is a lot of the time girls are taken away separately from boys to talk about this. And straight away, that's providing the perception that it's something you don't talk to males about. It's something that you keep secret. It's something that's not shared. And again, that's helping to create this perception and the shame and taboo that is still associated with it. So what are the main barriers in terms of, you know, school-based education to positive menstrual cycle education, according to what you find in your study? 40% of the time, it's having a lack of time to be able to deliver the education. I understand that teachers have a lot that they need to fit in, but that was the biggest one that was reported was there was a lack of time to be able to deliver more education around this. And then the other one, 35%, was teachers lacking confidence and lacking in resources to be able to know what to deliver. What about also parental responses to what teachers might want to deliver? Because I think I have read that sometimes, you know, schools have been worried about some parents have been horrified that that kind of menstrual cycle education takes place. And, you know, that puts schools in very difficult and teachers in very difficult positions. Yes, I definitely agree with that. So 9% of the teachers actually said that parents were a barrier to increased delivery because they didn't want their child to receive that information or would remove them from a lesson if that was being delivered. And I suppose that's part of that kind of wider perception in society of how we kind of try and shift that. Like one quote from a teacher was parental reaction, some parents would be mortified. That was also associated and linked with different cultural factors, which obviously are really important to consider. But I think it's equally as important to highlight and share the impact that the metro cycle can have on health of females and the angle that it can have of that kind of long-term health and well-being. Yeah, just seeing it through the lens of health and well-being and mental health and sports participation rather than anything to do with reproduction, if you like. Yeah, exactly. Just reframing it slightly as to that kind of impact on wider health, being made aware that if you're having a regular period that actually affects, you know, wider health of a female. Those kind of underlying things that maybe aren't shared that equally could be quite significant really for, for individuals. So for those parents or staff listening, in terms of thinking about, you know, very active sporty girls, you know, thinking about what what's kind of optimal in terms of sustaining that interest in sport? You know, what are the core messages that you'd like to get across to either a parent or a coach or a teacher who is nurturing that kind of sporting interest? I think one of the key things is to take the responsibility to have a conversation and to say to the girls to let them know if their period or their metro cycle is affecting them to make it something that is normal that can be discussed so then that they can go and actually let their coach parent teacher whatever that might be know if they're struggling not everyone might be affected by their menstrual cycle 
but for them to be able to actually let them know if there are. And alongside that is to provide resources for teachers, coaches, parents to be able to deliver that information so that the girls know that they understand how they might feel emotionally or socially or physically, you know, all those three aspects of the menstrual cycle to really help girls know that actually they do understand and primarily to understand that it's not an awkward conversation. I'm thinking that it might be quite fruitful to create some sort of quiz for teenage girls to fill in to sort of assess or reflect on, you know, what they know, where the gaps in their knowledge are, what questions they'd love to ask, you know, that kind of audit of knowledge. Oh, yeah, that would be absolutely brilliant. And it's really interesting to to everyone varies. Some people have received more information or have gone and searched for that information themselves. There's been a recently in the news that girls are using TikTok to find out information about the menstrual cycle. So again, it's really some might have more awareness, but equally it might be useful to know those that aren't aware or those that are struggling more with it have more severe symptoms to actually be able to support them. So like in all areas of teaching, you start with assessing, you know, knowledge and working out where you need to differentiate potentially, you know, in that classroom. Some people may not feel that they need particular information but others might be absolutely desperate for it yeah definitely and I suppose encouraging the girls to track their own menstrual cycle might be really helpful as well because they might start to understand what symptoms they experience and as a result actually understand more how to manage that rather than quite frequently especially in the first few years you don't really associate different symptoms with your menstrual cycle it's normally only once a period comes that maybe they reflect back retrospectively and go, that's why I felt like that last week, or that's why I was really struggling last week. Whereas again, that proactive approach of tracking, monitoring a menstrual cycle and symptoms allows you to understand that sooner and be able to manage it rather than struggle through or have a harder time and even in some instances stop participating in sport and physical activity. And I believe there are lots of apps now where both adults and teenage girls can sort of track, uh, you know, their cycle. And it's that's very much advocated by healthcare practitioners, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So there's loads of different apps. And again, it, but it doesn't have to be an app. If you have a diary, you might just want to jot down how you're feeling in your diary or, you know, different ways. They're the, they're the two most common ways. But I mean, personally, I've found apps really, really helpful. There's all different symptoms normally on there that you can just click so that you know what symptoms might be associated with your menstrual cycle and also to track how regular a period you have so that you know you're having a regular, healthy, normal length of cycle is also really important and quite empowering as well. So I'm very interested, I'm sure everyone listening is, what do teenagers say that they want out of menstruation education at school? Is that information you you know already, Natalie? That's actually my next step. So I'm currently speaking to different girls across the UK, different schools. Now we've spoken to teachers, we've found out what their experiences are, what their perceptions are. We're now speaking to the teenagers, the girls themselves, to find out their experiences of menstrual education. And also then to ask, actually, what do you want? What would you find helpful? What information would you find useful? To then, I suppose, next stages use both the teachers and the girls' information to inform and create whatever that might look like that's been requested after speaking to the girls. 
And I think there's a website which might be, you know, you, you, there might be other websites that you could highlight, but let's just think about some already very good resources that you've come across in, in, in the course of your work. I think period education is one, is that correct? Yeah, that's one. And then Hey Girls have got some really good resources as well for teachers and delivering information about the menstrual cycle and also access to period products, both sustainable and access in schools. So I would definitely point towards that one as well. And I like the one section they've got is called Pads for Dads. And again, it's helping males or dads have this conversation about the menstrual cycle. So it's not just down to females and to just shift that perception really that everyone can talk about it and diffusing the responsibility a little bit and you know I think it's important you know teenage girls have access to all sorts of different adults in their life and just everybody being conscious and aware of what they might be going through at particular periods of time is just being sensitive to that isn't it yeah definitely and the other aspect of that support is and one thing we kind of highlighted we think is a, as an action really going forward is also peer support so groups and young people supporting each other within school to help encourage an open conversation and support each other yes that's a lovely idea and just kind of co-creating sort of ideas and solutions or you know thinking about the issue of what's the optimal way of getting hold of period products you know during the day without feeling embarrassed or is it best that you have to go to a cupboard is it are there any other options in school that you, you can think about and suggest back to the school potentially yeah exactly 100 percent. and I've done it within different sports and it's worked really nicely just little things like especially when you first have your menstrual cycle in your periods they can be quite irregular and so you're more likely to come on your period when you don't expect it so if you've already got peer support there, you know you can go to people to ask for that product if you've not got one yourself. So you feel much more relaxed, much more supported rather than it being a cause of even anxiety and worry. Or you could imagine older prefects in the school might be a, a, a sort of a, a mentor where they could go to and just ask for things. There might be, you know, even a, an, an officer, a period officer in the school informally amongst the girls who might have a stash of products that younger pupils can access. Yeah, definitely. That's another great idea. It's different ways of just supporting girls, especially in the interim when hopefully this eventually will change and the perceptions, it will be open and we won't be embarrassed or secretive about it. But in the meantime, actually, how can we put those different strategies in place to make it more manageable and supportive within within schools? And Natalie, do you think enough is being done? I know sports uniform or sort of, you know, adolescent girls is something that's been, you know, uh, given a lot of attention um, in terms of is it comfortable enough? Does it serve the purpose that young girls need to help them achieve their potential in terms of sport? What would you say about that particular area that we need to think about? I'm thinking about PE uniforms, you know, is there anything inhibiting girls sort of performance in that area? because of menstruation that we should be aware of yeah definitely so again this is kind of from both different bits of research that I've done but what they're wearing and the anxiety of leaking and blood showing through is a major concern for girls taking part in sport and physical activity so having you know having to wear a skirt or having to wear anything white is a real concern and a barrier for girls wanting to be physically active 
so things like swapping a skirt or really or shorts for maybe dark leggings so that it takes away the anxiety of leaking or if they do with it it won't show through because it's on a dark material rather than for example white shorts or it's so obvious and that, that was one thing that came out a lot with a lot of work I've done with women's rugby a lot of the time they have white shorts and they are so worried despite what the game's like and there might be mud on them they're still more worried if there's blood showing through their shorts and it's the same within PE so actually things like what they're wearing could have a huge impact again even on confidence and comfort to take part Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's just so obvious when you say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, asking young women to be involved, if if there is an opportunity to redesign or revise a sports uniform, that they should be absolutely part and parcel of that. Well, it's sports season and always athletic season at the minute. Uh, just again, for sort of female athletes out there, have you found conversations or awareness around the menstrual cycle to be different in different sports settings or are the same barriers there is there you know are people better informed in one area of sport and not the other what would you say about that I would say that it's the same across all sports and it's all down to individuals I've not seen personally any kind of trend or pattern with certain sports having more awareness or more knowledge it's been across the board different individuals based on their experiences their confidence, whether parents spoke to them, all those kind of individual factors have affected those conversations more so than particularly in a sport. So Natalie, in terms of your projects, it's my understanding you're in the middle of developing a kind of a PSHE module or something that a school could potentially use. Is that correct? Yeah. So once I've spoken to, so obviously we've got the information from teachers and next we're going to speak to girls themselves and using that, you know, both what the teachers feel they want from a CPD resource perspective and then what girls also, the information they'd like to receive or would find helpful to then really work those two aspects together to create resources, information modules that we can share with schools. And more than anything, I suppose, values that schools can implement and then deliver that education in different ways that suits them but with those kind of key values and key aspects to focus on within menstrual education to be able to deliver. Yeah, that's lovely. So you sort of share the evidence space, but then every school can adapt that in order to work with pupils in a way that reflects their own school values. Yeah. Fantastic. What is the timeline for that? I know a lot of schools will be thinking this. So we're hoping that all of the conversations will be finished by the end of June. It will take a little bit of time to digest all of the information we've received from girls, but hopefully that might be done by the end of September to then start looking, hopefully for in the new year, to be pulling something together and releasing it for everyone to be able to use, hopefully. Fantastic. Well, we hope very much to be a conduit to disseminate that brilliant uh, material across our up education schools and last question would you be interested in perspectives from non-UK schools or are you just simply gathering up UK data at present? At the moment we are just looking at UK data there's already some data from schools in places like Australia there's been quite a lot of research released and New Zealand and then also in kind of lower income countries but we're definitely also really interested of how we can expand that and look at 
especially from my perspective of if there's examples of countries that are doing this well, actually, you know, how can we learn from that and utilize that and improve what we're doing? Okay, well, listen, Natalie, stay in touch with us. Everything you're doing is fantastically interesting and much needed. And we look very much forward to speaking to you again, hopefully in January 2023, about all the progress you've made. Thank you so much for talking to me about it today, Cathy. No problem. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye. This Get a Grip podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.